0: I'm Mark Walsh and coming up on today's show.
1: But as employees, I want to tell you all, it's really important for you to show your face. Like that FaceTime, that physical presence is still going to be really important for career advancement.
0: I looked
2: at some of your job ads out there and they look like job descriptions. And in this competitive marketplace, you you can't live by that. And you've got an entire marketing team who's focused on building your brand and communicating your brand values to the customer. Why aren't you doing the same thing to your employees?
1: Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.
0: It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Here's two conversations we think you'll enjoy comparing and contrasting to each other about the future of work. First, Mary Abajay. She is the CEO of CareerStone Group, talking about what it's like in the new workplace of post-COVID no cubicles, no offices with presence bias. What does it mean to not see your boss? And then we talk with Stefan Midford with a company called Capango, who finds people and gets people to serve in restaurants and retail. Yeah, it's your first job. What does it mean when retail and restaurants don't recover in the way they used to or working in a retail environment or a restaurant environment with a mask on 24 seven is different than the old days. What does it mean to have a career? So Mary and Stefan combined are going to be entertaining and informative to you here on What's Working in Washington. Here are our conversations. You're author of a book called Managing Up, How to Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Tell us what was the aha moment that made you sit down and do that book.
1: I work with organizations, leaders, teams, and for years I kept hearing People complain about their boss, and at yeah. the same time, their bosses are complaining about them. And I'm thinking, people, can you just have a conversation? It doesn't. Ha- you don't have to let a difficult boss get in the way of your career success. So I got tired of seeing people just complain about their boss, so I decided to give them some tools and strategies to be successful.
0: I, I think there's probably a couple of chapters about, this is unsolvable, I should leave, right? Yeah,
1: I have a whole chapter that says it's okay to quit and really telling people it's okay to quit. Like you've got to put your career first and you've got to manage your career. And part of managing your career is managing those workplace relationships. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't.
0: Many would argue, and you're, you're living it as a consultant and and an author and all that COVID has changed the relationship completely in all sorts of, at the DNA level, at the executional level, at the productivity level, at the measurement level. So what are some features of COVID that have changed what you would have written that book if you had to write it again today?
1: Oh, well, some of the features that have changed is how managers manage. You know, what we knew before the pandemic was that many managers, middle managers we were a little bit averse to remote work. We see it in the government. We saw it in the private sector. They didn't necessarily trust people to actually work while they were remote. Then, of course, everybody went remote, and suddenly these managers had to figure out how to manage remotely. So in some cases, some managers were really good at it. In other cases, not so much. And let's be honest, not every manager is good at being a manager. So and now when we're going into hybrid, Baby, that's a whole new animal.
0: Well, it's funny because I worked for the federal government for a glorious year and a half under the Obama administration <laughs> as a political appointee, and as you know, AWS, right? Alternative yep. work schedules. You've probably heard that letter, those letters, a few times. But it was interesting to see those people that, frankly, had—and this is not a sermon—but they had established trust with management to go home and and be productive, and others had not established yep. that level of trust, which made AWS, in some ways a threat to some managers because they knew they couldn't rely on some of the folks.
1: Absolutely. And AWS, it was it wasn't it wasn't distributed evenly, right? Some agencies really embraced it. Others, not so much. And, you know, you had to, in many agencies, you had to actually apply for it. You had to prove yourself that you were reliable enough to do it. So I think that, I think, and the government, by the way, I think was way ahead of the private sector prior to the pandemic in terms of remote work. Most people don't realize that, but they were, especially certain civilian agencies. Uh, And I think the pandemic really, for good, the silver lining is I think it really did hasten and kind of prove the uh, success that remote work can be.
0: Well, one of my colleagues in another agency, not the one I was with, uh, had to remind one of his uh, – a bunch of the teammates that the W in AWS stood for work (laughs) – uh, because sometimes it was it was an it was a, it was a vacation.
1: Well, you know you're right, and that's the problem. With when, when a few people ab- abuse the system, the work part when they use the remote, bad apples. Bad apples. But then, if a manager's already a little bit like ah uh, hesitant around them, and then one out of twenty people on their team uh, actually decides to use their day to get mani petties, you know that's going to ruin it for everybody. It's really important that we all get on the same page in our organizations and in our teams about what it's going to look like, what flies, what doesn't, and really getting clear around expectations, needs, wants. If a couple of people or there's a couple of bad situations, then you don't want your employer to blow the whistle and say, okay, everybody, everybody back in the pool, this doesn't work. The (laughs) word hybrid
0: is being interpreted by many corporations and entities differently. One way that I think uh, strikes me as kind of the worst possible outcome is these sort of wonderful Wednesdays where everybody comes back in for one or two days. Then you have to have all the office space and all the facilities to handle everybody who you, you work for for those one or two days, which makes the other five days completely fallow. Are you seeing that being tried and failing? Yeah, so what
1: we're seeing is that organizations are kind of winging it. And, you know, one of the first things I recommend to leaders to think about with hybrid is to be really clear on what model you are using. And the why, you know, and there is a spectrum of choice that you can give people. And I think organizations need to look at this as more of an organizational change and an organizational experiment. Because I agree with you, just making everybody come in for these wild Wednesdays might work for organization A, but it may not work for organization B. And it depends on what else you are doing in that organization. It's a really tricky thing to choose the right model. Yes. When
0: do you think some organizations, be they service-based, I guess manufacturing would be a real kind of outlier in this, When do you think we'll start to lock in with some models that are really working? Or are we still going to experiment a year from now or five years from now?
1: I think that organizations are are starting out and locking in a model. I don't like the word lock. I think you're right. I think they should look at it as an experimentation for the first three to six months. Okay. given, let's say, let's assume, of course, that we are through the worst of the pandemic. I think you should start off with a model. And then I think like with any organizational change, you need to gather feedback. Take a look. What's working well? What's not working well? How can we tweak this? Um, Uh, Really seek feedback from your employees, seek feedback from your customers and your clients, and then tweak along the edges. But I think you also want to make it clear to your employees that you are experimenting, that the model we have now might change based on how successful we find it for employee engagement, for our culture, for things like that. And then look to lock in the model, you know, uh, six months to a year after you've really experimented with it. I kind of think it depends on the seasonality of your business, like what the rhythms are. But I wouldn't lock in anything right now. And do not tell your people it's locked in in case you have to change it.
0: The other models that I'm seeing sometimes work and sometimes fail really flow into the type of organization. Yes. I have friends at investment banks. Investment banks, as you know, team oriented, project oriented to transaction, then the team breaks up and other teams form, or movie making or yeah. entertainment, stuff like that. As opposed to a very rote organization that has teams doing the exact same thing with each, with each other. What are you seeing in flavor uh, flavors of flexibility in that 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 secondary model, where people that are very used to being together five days a week, there must be some real struggle there.
1: Well, there's definitely some struggle. So I got a couple of things to say on this. One is that. Uh, people, there's three basic personas right in the workplace. You have your office cravers uh, and these office are people. Cravers? Cravers, yeah. Like office yeah. cravers and they want to be in the physical office in the physical workplace. Uh, they want to be with people. They want to see people and these are people that might be uh, might be because they're raging extroverts or they hate where they live or right, right, or right. they want to just command and control. They need to see you to know you're working. And we're, research shows that there's about 10 to 15% of those people in the workforce and they're usually sitting at the top they're your ceos and they're quite often they're your bankers as well then you've got another uh, section of people that are called the mixers and these are people that want to work in the physical office sometimes and remotely sometimes but so they want to mix it up they still want the human physical interactions but they don't want to come to the office every day and that's like 70 percent of the people right now 70 75 percent And then you have your people, what we call the home dwellers. And this is about 15% of your population. And these are the folks that see no reason to ever come into a physical workplace ever again. Mm -hmm. They want to work remotely. So organizations have to manage all these different personas. And as you know, there's a war for talent out there right now. So finding the right model, because in every organization, whether you're a bank or whether you're manufacturing, although it's hard for them to work remotely, you're going to have to try to find a model that fits these people.
0: Commercial real estate. Commercial real estate as a entity where do you see it going in the next five years
1: well it's a good thing you pick that because well there's two things about commercial real estate so the first one is commercial real estate business mm-hmm. okay so in terms of like let's say you're a jbg smith or you're a donahoe you're in commercial real estate they're a great example of an organization that has to try to find a model that's going to work for all their employees right because it's not really equitable the people in the administration they can work from home the property managers cannot yeah. so that's a great thing like you know so when we're thinking about this you want to think about where uh how you're going to make it fair to everybody okay so that's them as a company but you're asking me about the state of commercial real estate correct um all right, this isn't being recorded is it like you're, you're not <laughs> going to like hold me to my crystal ball it's prediction. yeah you and me <laughs> yeah i i i cannot see how commercial real estate doesn't go through some pretty significant changes. Unless, of course, it is, I think people, I think organizations are going to be reducing their footprint. That was absolutely a trend that was beginning prior to the pandemic. And I can't imagine if hybrid is the norm and people it is and will be the norm. I can't imagine companies keeping the same amount of commercial space. Now, Maybe that means there's room for more additional companies to come in and use uh, corporate space or commercial space, but I think it's gonna shift. And if I had a guess as to how it was gonna shift, I would imagine there'd be more mixing of it. I would imagine more, uh, some commercial spaces are gonna go to housing, because housing is a huge problem. And with HQ2 in here, we need more apartments, we need more spaces. I do think also that the shared workspaces are gonna make a huge comeback uh, as people, as organizations reduce their footprint. I have a couple of clients that got rid of their leased space and are now using shared spaces. So I think it's going to be a really interesting, transformative, shall we say, time for the commercial real estate biz.
0: So one of the companies I'm involved with is all about upskilling. And I'm convinced that a portion of commercial real estate allocated to Company X will either be leased out by Company X or used by Company X for education, of the lower uh, lower level or lower tier employees who want to rise up the ladder of company X yep. or other people that want to ju- – so I think education is one – I know I'm waxing poetic here, but I am convinced, to your point, Mary Abijay, that innovative companies or innovative leasers or innovative commercial real estate companies will find other customers for that space. I think so, too.
1: I think it's an agreement. As long and we're in agreement, as long as they're thinking outside the box of their current customers. Bingo. Like if you were a mall and you're looking for more stores, I'd rethink that use that, the use of that space because I think I think you're right. I think it's going to survive, but it's gonna look different.
0: So managers. Yeah. How do you see tomorrow's managers coming out of business school or ra- ra- rising in the corporate ranks? How do you see those women and men being challenged? in ways they probably weren't ready to be challenged when they were being, when they sort of getting their stripes to be managers of many people?
1: Well, first of all, they don't really teach how to be a manager in business school or in law school or Stop. in medical school, believe it or not. They yeah. teach you how to like manage business, not manage people. And, you know, we've been hearing this for years. It's really around the emotional intelligence of your manager. And I think when managers learn, the, understand that they are managing people, and not things, it will be very helpful. And I do think we've seen a little bit of movement that way because let's be honest, here's how we uh, promote people in the workplace. Oh, Mark, you're so good at doing X, Y, Z. You're so talented. You're a great salesperson. We're going to put you in charge of Dunder Mifflin. Like we promote people based on their technical skills and not on their ability ability their aptitude or acumen to manage people and I think organizations who are really going to win the war for talent and really be able to thrive in the 21st century are those who are going to realize that managers role is to set the conditions for success for their employees to be able to empower and develop and manage people not things so I am hoping that managers will learn how to manage people not things Now, of course, that being said, if they knew how to do this, Mark, there would be no reason for my book (laughs) and (laughs) half my clients wouldn't need me anymore because we know that poor managers are one of the top three reasons why people leave organizations and why we have low employee engagement and low employee
0: morale. One of the, when I talk to my venture capital friends, one of the things they worry about in this new post COVID or I guess COVID drenched workplace environment is the old saw of if you get in early and see the boss or stay late and see the boss, this level of personal advancement that just kind of being there and kissing a little, I'm sorry, kissing the ring a little bit now and then <laughs> can always have. And this this becomes way thinner in, in covid are there replacements for that?
1: Yeah, you raised one of the biggest challenges that we're going to see in COVID, and that's uh, the what we call presence bias, which means Nicely like. Nicely phrased. Thank you, my friend. I, I stole it from somebody. I can't remember who. This is about like we are as human beings. We are social creatures, and so as managers, you've got to be really careful that you're not just uh, giving favors or like being more responsive to the people that who's who you're seeing right out of. Out of sight, out of mind. But as employees, I want to tell you all it's really important for you to show your face. Like that face time, that physical presence is still going to be really important for career advancement.
0: I guess managers will also have to start getting better at engaging the person who shows up, shuts their door, does their work and leaves. Getting them yep. physically out. Maybe we get rid of doors. Maybe it's all cubes. Maybe it's physical changing. Or having games I, I hate to say the you know mm-hmm. leaning backwards a trust fall and all that stupid stuff for for offsites remember we used to have offsites right <laughs> but almost having offsites during during a regular work time yeah
1: I think that's exactly right and I always I do a lot of offsites for my clients and I always tell them if you misbehave you're gonna do a trust fall so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it keeps right. them on the up and up okay <laughs> it's
0: what's working in Washington I'm your host Mark Walsh again we're so happy to have been joined today by Mary Abajay founder and partner of Career Stone Group a hybrid work we're hybrid workplace consultant and author of Managing Up, How to Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Coming up next, our conversation with the head of a company called Capango. So welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Mark. Really great to be here. Well, you have a rich and storied deep dive career in retail. Now, you ran Natural Insight for many years. Tell our listeners what that company did, what happened to that company, and when you decided to start Capango.
2: Yeah, Natural Insight um, is a technology platform that allows retail workers that are third parties or brand representatives To get work assignments in a store, so think of it almost like an Uber for retail workers. So if you walked into a Best Buy store and ran into that Canon wrapper, the Intel wrapper, the Samsung wrapper, the Sony wrap, it's very likely they used our platform to find a work assignment, know where they were supposed to go, and know what they were supposed to do. So we ran that company for um, gosh, more than fifteen years, founded it and run it, and grew that platform. We were being used worldwide in a half a dozen languages in about eighty countries to support the retail environment. And one of the things I learned in going out and talking with our clients, you know, you always do that as a CEO, right? What's going on in your business? How can I help you? How can I sell you more? Um, (laughs) They they were all saying to me, look, I can manage my workers in your platform. My challenge is finding workers. And and remember, that was back in 2017, 18. Retail already
0: had a problem Mm -hmm. finding workers well before COVID ever happened. Finding workers, finding qualified workers, finding workers that were loyal, all the above? It's, it's all the above,
2: right? So it's, it's certainly the recruiters told us they, one, didn't have enough volume of workers, and two, didn't have enough qualified workers. Um, if you think about retail, especially, and, and we do work with restaurants now as well, both of those industries tend to be first job. For a lot of us, that's our introduction to work. That has been changing a little bit as younger adults are more professionally inclined and not doing that as much. There are certainly is a lot of retired people who use retail, uh, especially for that second income or that little bit of keep me busy or a few bucks on the side kind of income. And that's changing as well. Mm -hmm. So the reason we started the company, when we had Natural Insight, and we were helping these retail employees with their work assignments and their employers are saying, I can't find people. We looked at the industry and- decided that there was an opportunity there's certainly the big players out there that everybody knows that are advertising for jobs what we didn't see was retail focused or restaurant focused hourly labor and then what we saw a lot of was they were focused on the ad strategy how can i get my ad in front of people they weren't focused on how do i change the way somebody gets hired and we felt like it was really important to say let's be industry specific Let's look at the way hourly labor thinks about the problem, and how we can solve it for them better.
0: And let's create a different way of doing that makes it more efficient. I noticed that you guys have a, a resume service effectively, CV. Or, or what made you decide to do that? Because I would argue, clearly I'm wrong, that if I'm applying for a job at fill-in name of food franchisee here, I wouldn't need a resume. So you would have made the same mistake we made Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because that's exactly what we did. Our first tagline
2: when we did our first marketing to our beta customers was no resumes, just jobs. We don't have a place to put a resume in our platform for a couple of reasons. One, because it is such an entry-level type opportunity for so many people, um, they don't have a good resume to begin with. Two- Their hourly labor is a server at a restaurant or a salesperson at a store. They're not good at writing resumes. And the Mm -hmm. resume doesn't reflect their passions and what they can do and how they can contribute to the employer. So we said, let's not have them there. We'll collect the data and we'll give the employer the data. The job seekers loved it. Absolutely loved it. All in. The employers, this is great. Where's the resume? And after six months of sort of banging our head against that wall, we said, look, we're not moving the bar here. They're not accepting this new strategy. So we then modified it and said, okay, job seeker, still same for you. The difference is now there's a button. You can press that button and we'll generate your resume for you. Now it's industry specific. It's laid out in a consistent format. It's professional and it has the right information an employer wants to hire for retail or restaurants. So what we did was we treated it almost like a dating app. So think of a dating app where essentially you're going in and you're saying, I'm going to register. We're just going to ask 18 very quick questions. You almost don't even know it's 18 questions. You flip through them very, very quickly. They're quick, punch-a-button kind of questions. We can get better data than you can get off of any other job site because we worked with well over 100 employers to help us understand what decisions do they have um, based on the data. Now, one of the things that we did when we think about the dating app, we looked at the questions and started to segment them. And we came up with this strategy of, well, why do you hire somebody? I hire somebody because they bring two things to me. They bring powers and passions. Mm-hmm. Powers, I've got two years of college. I can lift 50 pounds. I've got a car. I can drive to different places. Um, I'm certified in you know, this technology. Yeah. Those are powers. Those are tactical things. Passions are, hey, I love engaging with people. Or I love following detailed instructions. I like cameras versus gardening. Mm -hmm. Well, now I can differentiate for the employer who's the right employee to be stocking the shelves at Target versus selling cameras at Best Buy versus working in the garden center at Home Depot. Mm -hmm. So now what we're doing is looking at it and saying, not only are we finding the retailer a great employee, but we're finding an employee who's passionate about something. And if we've done it right, that employee will stay there longer. They'll be better customer service because they know the products they're dealing with and everybody's going to win. And, you know, you have to sort of think through, you know, prior generations, there was this mentality of, oh, my gosh, I got a job. I'm, yeah. I'm so thrilled to work for this employer. Now it's a little bit the reverse, right? It's who, who do I want to work for? You have to really think about it. You know, I looked at some of your job ads out there and they look like job descriptions. And in this competitive marketplace, you can't can't live by that. It has to be, you know, your marketing team. You've got an entire marketing team who's focused on building your brand and communicating your brand values to the customer. Why aren't you doing the same thing to your employees? Mm -hmm. Why aren't you doing the same thing in your job ads? What's your brand? What's your story? What's your value? What do you bring to the table for the employee?
0: Are you being asked to track who you have discovered and has been chosen by an employer whether they turn out to be management material and how the career track may may pursue for them?
2: We're not that far into the data yet, but we're capturing an enormous amount of that data. So we're capturing, um, because we don't allow somebody to upload a resume to our platform and we capture the data, we have prior employment, data, but we have as a data element, right? So I know how many times this individual has changed jobs and how frequently. I know mm-hmm. what employers they worked for before. So if they worked in home improvement before, I can start to refer them to other home improvement centers, perhaps. Mm -hmm. The other piece of data that we capture that we think is unique is when when a seeker is using our app to look for employment, they can swipe right on a job and instantly we'll send that data to the employer and say, hey, this candidate is interested. They can swipe left on a job to say they don't like it and put it in an ignore category. The Tinderification of applications. It absolutely is. But if you think about it, that data about what's the profile of the people that swipe left on my job yeah. is almost as valuable, or
0: maybe more valuable, than the p- profile of people who swipe right on my job. I completely agree. The nos are maybe as more interesting than the yeses. How do you provide data privacy? Well, how do you anonymize that kind of data? What what's does does Home Depot say? I don't want to know whether Susie or Dan said no to me, but I want to know what people like Susie and Dan why they said no to me or if they said no to me. or are, are you in that business yet?
2: Not yet, but we definitely will get into profiling in general categories, right? Yeah. So we're very conscious of data privacy rules. It's one of the reasons why we don't do some of the ATS things is we don't – we literally don't want that data in our platform. We do want to look at groups of uh, individuals as groups and try and make
0: intelligent decisions that help the process work better for both sides. That's the voice of Stefan Midford, he's the CEO and founder of Copango, we're talking about retail employment. So government, some parts of government are almost like retail, like working at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Bad retail, because you're not getting a lot of happy customers typically, do you have any clients that are state, local, or federal government agencies?
2: We don't yet. We have focused very hard on our initial set of clients, and we're at this phase where we've been working for a couple of years in our beta phase, working with the initial clients. We really wanted to make sure that we knew that we were handling what's in our wheelhouse, right? So yeah. we worked with the retailers and the restaurants then subsequently to say, what questions do I need to ask? And so when I think about you know segmenting labor and asking the right questions, if I was talking to the DMV about an hourly employee there, I would suspect that there's a different set of questions. So we'd have to really think about that right? because one of the beauties of the platform is it is that – that dating app feel. It's like, hey, I can fill out a profile and have really good data here and I can do it in about 4 minutes. Yeah. If I start to make it too complicated, I start to look like everybody else out there that's trying to recruit for everybody. So
0: white labeling, do you is your brand I say this respectfully, is your brand of value to you only or do you care if Home Depot tells applicants that they're coming through you? How does that play out?
2: Yeah, our intent is to build the brand, is to say Copango is the home and Copango Life is the place where I want to go for my retail and restaurant community. And I want to belong to this community and I want to find opportunities and be successful in the community. That's why we're bringing things in like the blog posts and certifications and other things. So it's not just a job board. It's part of me belonging to a community. Um, We have been talking to a couple of economic development agencies that say, for instance, um, if I'm running a resort town on the coast and I'm trying to get employees for the summer, that's a challenge. We might work with them to do some kind of QR code program where we roll out Capango to everybody in the community. I like it. Um, and try and see if we can create uh, momentum through a community group effort.
0: Well, you've been around this block a few times, as have I. And, and I think it's, it sounds like you're heading to that cycle of excellence where you get smarter about what kind of branding – the employer needs to do to get the kind of applicants they want to your point earlier about social impact and aspirational values and all that stuff which as you said earlier didn't used to nobody used to care about that at all right, right. now they're going to and you may you may you may I'll, I'll bet i'll make a prediction here sir uh since you're the guest that you have a real value in that that stuff alone so congratulations on capango thanks for being our guest today it's Stephen midford everybody i really appreciate your being on what's working in washington Thanks very much, Mark. I love being here and and love answering the questions. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraf. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the sunbathers.
1: You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.